Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. My producer, Paul Perot, has a totally twisted up tongue this morning. So um, Totally, totally, totally. Like, normally he says right at the outset, okay, Mike is hot. I'm not even sure what he said today. I was, like, I, for <laughs> some reason, I was thinking light. It's it was like a right. morning blend. Oh, it was a morning blend it was terrible. of words. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. It is the Monday of Thanksgiving week. <clears throat> I am thinking that of this. So... Um, I'm working. Paul's working. Some other people are working, but kids are out of school, and so I'll just admit to you that um, it's uh, our kids out of school where you are, Paul, or just where I am. Uh, no, they're still in school, at least mm. in my wife's school district. So yeah, for a couple of days, yeah. right? And then they get like the end of the week off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so um, I always think of this as the week of preparation for the season of preparation because Advent is going to start on Sunday, and if I if I put off all of my Advent planning until after Thanksgiving, there's no way I'm going to be prepared to prepare during Advent. So let me just go ahead and alert you. This is a really good week in addition to uh, all of the things you have planned for Thanksgiving, whatever those may be. Uh, This is a great week to get ready for how you are going to celebrate or observe, maybe is the right language, observe the season of preparation leading up to the celebration of the coming of Christ at Christmas. And so I'm just going to encourage you now, um, in the same way that to prepare for Christmas, we send out Christmas cards, right? And to prepare for Christmas, we decorate. I want you to also intentionally consider how you are going to prepare your heart, your mind, your spirit for receiving anew the great good news of the gospel, because there would be no Easter if there were no Christmas. The the crucifixion of Christ, his sacrifice upon the cross, his resurrection from the grave, overcoming the power um, uh, of and the penalty of sin and death, is all dependent upon his incarnation. And so Christmas actually like really, really matters. And so in this week of Thanksgiving, we are also preparing for the season of anticipation or preparation, the season of Advent, the coming of the Christ. And so yesterday, uh, my pastor focused in on one verse of Scripture, and I just wanted to lift it up today um, for us as well, and that is Romans 8.32. And you're going to say to yourself, Romans 8.32 is not a Christmas passage. It is not an Advent passage. Oh, contraire. Let's, uh, let's, Let's take in this one verse. He who did not spare his own son. So there, that's a declaration about the Father. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that is the declaration of what happens 
um, on the cross. It's also the greatest gift ever given, and it comes wrapped in human flesh and lying in a manger. So we're anticipating all of that at Christmas. We anticipate Easter at Christmas. But then there is this, how will he not also, with Christ, graciously give us all things? All things. The first gift is Christ. Don't miss it. Don't skip over it. We're going to absolutely rejoice in it and unwrap it. The first gift, the primary gift, is Christ. But with Christ come all things. All things. All things. So what are the all things that come with Christ? Well, you could uh, settle into every spiritual blessing that Paul lists in Ephesians chapter 1. All things that come with Christ would certainly include the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through that gift flow all these other gifts by the Spirit's presence and activity in our lives. You could consider that the all things in terms of the gifts that come with Christ include friendship with God. Uh, Jesus actually calls us friends, fellowship with one another, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, a future filled with what? Hope. All things, all things of value, grace upon grace. So of these, we are recipients, recipients first of Christ, and then with Christ, all things. So first be a recipient, receive Christ. Receive Christ and acknowledge that receipt through thanksgiving and celebration and then use the gift. And then become a conduit of the gift. So we talk about fruitfulness. We talk about the abundance of our lives. We talk about the way that our lives are productive in terms of advancing the kingdom. We're talking there about being conduits, passing on to others all things that we have by grace already received. Having experienced God's generosity toward us, we are conformed to his likeness, and then we do unto others as God in Christ has done unto us, and we give. And Thanksgiving thus becomes not just a day on a national calendar, but a way of life that keeps us in, in, a, in a rightful spirit and mind in terms of what God has poured out and also, also passes on the benefits of grace to others. It all points to the one who indeed is the gift, the gift of life itself. So spend some time today in the word of God. Let the word of God saturate your life and become a conduit of it it to, to others. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8, 32. Dr. Zach Jenkins up next. We'll be right back. Dr. Zach Jenkins is back from Cedarville University. He's a frontline healthcare worker, um, and we appreciate his coming to join us in the midst of what is an ongoing conversation about COVID 19. Zach, we're actually uh, sneaking up on the end of 2020. And COVID-19 is not gone yet, not, uh, it is lingering, it is still with us. So um, let's, uh, let's just talk about the COVID headlines in this particular week. Um, we could start with, uh, let's start with Thanksgiving. What, um, 
What are you anticipating in terms of Thanksgiving? It does look like people are traveling. Uh, they're already reporting that you know a record number of people since March have boarded airplanes and are flying about. Talk with us a little bit about Thanksgiving, um, and then we'll range about some other headlines. Well, I think if we look at COVID in terms of numbers of new cases per day and certainly the total number of cases to date, what we can really say is that we're not yet at a peak when it comes to this virus. Um, right now, we're anticipating the peak might actually be occurring in January, like late January, maybe early February. And so what that really means for us is that as we go through the holiday season, um, we actually could encounter more sudden spikes, if you will, just based on people traveling and how they interact with each other. Another thing to keep in mind is that we also have a lot of college students that are now going home for the rest of the season. Um, so th thousands and thousands of college students are going home on top of people traveling. And, and so I imagine that is going to directly impact the numbers that we are seeing. Mm, okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, death rates and where we are globally and here in the United States. So so the good news as far as death rates go, um, really when it comes to COVID, our deaths have continued to trend down since March. So that's a positive for us. We, we can say, though, that that is somewhat influenced by the fact that we don't have as many older adults and people that are at risk getting infected as we do have our, our younger people getting infected. So that has actually impacted the rates. But I think more importantly, we are a little bit better at treating things. Um, we're, we are having new therapies that are still kind of being brought forth as a potential um, way of dealing with COVID. We're better at managing our COVID patients as well. So that has trended down, even though our, our new cases per day has gone up. Okay, let's talk about one of those um, potential new treatments. I saw, um, I think Paul sent it to both of us, um, a headline out from St. Jude's researchers who have published some peer-reviewed COVID um, news related to potential treatment. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So really what they're, what they're actually looking at are products that can decrease the amount of cytokines that your body produces. And cytokines are kind of like a protein that, that your body makes in response to an infection or an inflammatory process. And, and you've probably heard the term cytokine storm associated with COVID. So the thought is that if we could decrease the amount of those circulating, it could decrease the severity of that immune response that people have. Um, the only thing I'll mention there is there's another theory that there's this other process called like a bradykinin storm, which is a whole other thing to discuss. Uh, but, but basically, if, if it's more of that mechanism and not a cytokine storm, then some of these kinds of therapies won't work as well. Okay, let's take a pivot from therapies to vaccines. And let's do that right after, I guess we better take a very brief break. And when we come back, Dr. Zach Jenkins is going to bring us um, some updates on vaccines. We've heard about Pfizer. There's also some good news from Moderna. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You're my defender. All right, so we have uh, briefly lost Dr. Zach, and so while Paul is reconnecting with him, let me give you, um, for those of you who rely on us for your weather updates, which is kind of funny and curious to me, but um, apparently everybody needs to know there are multiple storm systems that might impact your plans this week, so be sure you check that out, um, depending on the portion of the country that you're in. 
Um, there are uh, there are storm systems pretty much uh, coast to coast. The only people that it looks like are going to be um, not wet, unwet this weekend. The only part of of the country that will be dry is the dry part of the country. Those of you in the deep southwest, all the rest of us are either going to be wet or really wet. So um, there you go. Pay attention to all of that this week. Uh, it's also um, apparently a transition hunting season in some places had just took place this past weekend. So this is just one of those where I just want people to be mindful that even though you think it's great to get out there and get some fresh air, um, other people might be hunting in those woods right now. And so pay attention to what what's happening where you live and um, in the particular season that um, that you're in in terms of hunting. It's at least deer. It might also in some places be moving toward duck. I don't know. Okay. So um, turkey season, yes, always. In fact, uh, I had a friend. She is a professor, and she posted a brief video of her dog retrieving their Thanksgiving bird from the field. I thought that was kind of humorous. Okay. Most of us are going to retrieve our Thanksgiving bird from the grocery store. Um, Oh, which leads us to a conversation about supermarkets in just a moment with Dr. Zach Jenkins. Hey, Zach, welcome back. All right. Thanks. All right. That that is uh, that's a little broken up. So um, uh, let's try that one more time. Let's talk about vaccines. We know we've got one uh, forthcoming from Pfizer. Maybe you can talk about that. And then we could also talk about Moderna. Yeah. So so when we're looking at our vaccines right now, what we know is that we have about three major front runners in the United States. So we have the one from Pfizer and we have the one from Moderna. And those are both messenger RNA vaccines. So that's where they take a segment of the virus and they try to code for a protein that your body can identify and generate an immune response to. Both of those vaccines are having reports of success of about 90, 90% to 95%. So that's very encouraging. And just this morning, AstraZeneca, who's another ma- vaccine manufacturer, have shared some preliminary results indicating that their vaccine is about 75% effective. Um, But it's kind of hard to say exactly what that's going to look like until they have all those details released to us. All right. And then um, so you said there were three front runners. That's Pfizer and Moderna. What's the third? AstraZeneca. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, All right. Supermarkets is on my list of things to talk about today. Uh, I went yesterday. I will need to be going again in relationship to Thanksgiving. Um, But supermarkets are apparently a very common place to be exposed to COVID. Um, Can you talk about that? Well, I think the big issue with supermarkets is, of course, there are a large volume of people. um, And and we, (laughs) throughout this year, have had little intermittent episodes of panic buying where where something will Mm. happen, whether it's an upcoming election or whether you actually have a lot of concern about the virus spreading. And so people go in to buy a bunch of things in kind of anticipation of that. Um, So even though we have a lot of measures in place to try to prevent things, I I think sometimes you still have a swarm of people that that can kind of happen, I guess. Um, I I would say that at least in the U.S. and several parts of the U.S., not all of it, we do have options to kind of help us steer clear some of the situations. So things like, uh, you know, ClickList, if you're with Kroger or, or those other services that let you order your groceries can be a helpful way of trying to avoid those kinds of situations. Okay, and then I am also the person who offers to get some groceries for other people, sort of like keeping my neighbors out of the grocery store when I'm in the grocery store by picking up things for them that they need. 
um, when I go. So I just want to encourage people to be neighborly about that. Um, maybe you have an elderly neighbor. Maybe you have um, someone who is otherwise at high risk. It could be that we have more or less forgotten about that over the course of time as we have grown fatigued by um, by all of the all of the restrictions. Um, but there are people who still literally cannot get out for their own health and welfare. And so let's during this week when we are running whatever errands we are running, let's be sure that we are taking care of our neighbors in the midst of this. So I got a pregnant mom down the street. I'm doing some shopping for her this week when I'm out. Um, And likewise, an elderly neighbor who we've been, you know, doing shopping for throughout this entire time. So just um, just be mindful of that. Don't forget that those folks, um, those folks are still out there. And if you live in a rural community where, you know, they don't deliver for things, um, then just encourage you to be keeping up with your neighbors in that way. All right. How about um, rural doctors? Now that we have talked about um, we have talked about a number of things, I would just like for us to talk a little bit about what's happening with doctors in our rural communities. Well, I think the biggest challenge right now with with COVID is, of course, limited access to medical resources in some of those more rural areas. So that's always been a challenge, even independent of COVID. But what's really happened now with a lot of the regulations that have been put in place, it it actually had driven down the the business of some of those providers. So they're not able to function the same way they were. So that's the first problem. Um, Second problem is in some of those cases, it led to layoffs. And that's just a result of sort of the blunt instrument of, you know, locking things down, preventing a lot of people from, I guess, engaging with with their medical providers that they might normally be able to. Um, In some parts of the country, it made sense, the bigger cities, but in those rural areas, they were kind of disproportionately affected. So now as a result of that, what you run into are situations where people have trouble getting in to see people to get tested, as an example. Yeah. So we have a testing issue where I live. I mean, I know somebody that was sent by their employer to get a test and he went to, you know, one testing location where supposedly there were tests. But by the time he got up there, they were out of tests and they sent him to another testing location. And by the time he got to the end or the front of that line, they'd also run out of tests. So um, I do think we are we are facing some challenging days. um, And uh, and I think people need to be aware of that. I have a listener asking um, Zach sort of how to know what to believe. Um, in terms of specific reporting, particularly things that maybe random people post on Facebook um, about COVID or treatments or the scarcity of beds or those kinds of things. Um, how how are you sorting through the news relating related to COVID? So there, there's a few different things I'll mention, but the first I think is really important as a Christian. Um, so, so my favorite passage in the Bible is in James chapter 3, and it talks about earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. And so it's like a litmus test. I mean, if you literally run the stuff that's being spat at you by that test, you can kind of determine, is it good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? Right. So, like, clearly, if people are trying to be divisive on things, we know who the only author of division is. Mm. Um, So that that I think really kind of helps at the end of the day. Um, But outside of that, I, I would I would say that. You kind of have to take all information in aggregate. You have to look at a lot of different sources. And a big problem people have is they typically don't dig a little bit deeper past things that get posted. Um, you know, I had someone share some information with me recently that they said a friend said was fact-checked. Um, turns out it wasn't fact-checked. It, it, they actually checked a couple of pieces of it, but not the whole article itself. Um, and it was very conspiratorial. And the problem is when you dug into it a little bit further, that whole conspiracy unraveled. 
Um, so, th so that's just a small example. Certainly with medical information, this thing is changing very, very rapidly. Uh, it's important to recognize, you know, even as healthcare experts, we, we know a lot about how to interpret the information in front of us, but we don't always have all the information in front of us, so we can be wrong. Um, so so it's, it's hard to be 100% accurate when this thing is changing so quickly. So I think that is really, um, first of all, wise counsel. Um, I, I even made a note there, Zach, when I, when I see something that is clearly designed to create division, I need to remember who the, who the author of division is. And when I read something that I suspect might be a lie, I need to remember who the father of lies is. Um, those are just really good discernment points. Um, taking all information in aggregate, digging deeper past what's posted, um, and then even just a whole conversation about what does it mean for somebody to be fact-checked, fact-checked against what facts, uh, in what sort of timeline. The information is actually changing really rapidly. So um, thank you, thank you uh, for just offering some wisdom and clarity on that, because particularly as we go into Thanksgiving, if we are with uh, people who um, we haven't necessarily been with the whole time, everybody's going to have a different view of what's going on with COVID. And so um, anytime you have any sort of holiday gathering, the reality is you end up with a mix of conversations that you have not necessarily been in. And the facts that, you know, <clears throat> the facts, the quote unquote facts that um, that Uncle Bob brings to the table are not always the facts that I'm dealing with at the table. And so, oh, yeah, deep breath, deep breath in this Thanksgiving week. All right, Zach Jenkins, thank you so much, as always, for helping us sort through all of our COVID-19 headlines. You can find Zach online at Cedarville University. You can also find him on Twitter at FarmDHiker. That's farm like pharmacy. Uh, Zach, thanks a lot. Have a great uh, have a great Thanksgiving. No problem. You have a great Thanksgiving too. Thanks. We'll be right back. Okay, you have heard the verse from Galatians chapter three. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. My guess is you um, have also wondered, what in the world does that mean today? What does that mean today in a generation that seeks to eradicate the difference between male and female, but not in the same ways that Christ brings unity between the two, um, in a generation when the term slave means something uh, far different that it, than it meant in the days of the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. Um, in the day when Jews are still maligned and most of us don't recognize that by this definition, we are Greek. All right, I'm going to talk with Dr. Walter Strickland Jr. about this. He is the author of For God So Loved. He has joined us before. He is a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he'll be up next. When I tell parents, don't be perfect, they sometimes come back and say to me, well, of course I'm not perfect. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm not ignorant of the fact that we all have deep flaws. No one is perfect. But I meet too many moms and dads who act like they've got it all together, or worse yet, demand that their teens have it all together. Their standards are so high that no human can reach them, especially no awkward, gawky teenager. So, when I tell you don't be perfect, think about what you're expecting of others. Are you ready to walk away if your son makes a mistake? Are you worried that a misstep in your daughter's behavior will reflect poorly on you? Cut him a little slack. 
no one is perfect. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Dr. Walter Strickland, Jr. He is a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is the author of For God So Loved. You can also visit the website strickland.institute.com and see what he's got going on there. Walter, welcome back. It's good to be with you. All right, so I've been stalking you on Twitter, and so that is actually the— uh, the beginning of our conversation um, that I'd like to have with you today. So one of the passages of Scripture that you posted is a verse from Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And to that I say amen, and I think that it is a verse of Scripture that is um, used in all kinds of environments across a very wide spectrum of uh, theological viewpoints today, and I thought it would just be fun to unpack it with you. Definitely, I'd love to. All right, so um, I would like to start with the who the you are at the very end, because I think that if we could start with the group of people to whom Paul is speaking— we would be able to better understand what he is saying. So when Paul says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, who is the you to whom he is addressing this? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a you plural. And he's it, talking to, to you Christians, those of you who are followers of Jesus. And I think this is really important for us because it helps us to, to sort of order our identity. And um, I think what he's what, what, what's going on here, and I'm probably jumping ahead or where you <laughs> perhaps, but he's saying, you know, you Christians, although you you are of these different backgrounds, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, you that your primary identifying marker is now not those things, although they're important, but it's in Christ. Okay, so see, I love that. Primary identifying marker. If I could just be continually mindful that my primary identifying marker is Christ, um, that it helps me understand all of the other things that might also be true of me that are, as you use the term, background. They are background to the one who is now in the foreground, and the one in the foreground is Jesus. Is that, mm-hmm. I mean, would that be an, a, a way of understanding this verse of Scripture? Yeah, definitely. You know, and uh, I think today, if we, if we sort of pan back and look at what is going on, I think the adversary in our country is trying to give a full-on onslaught attack against our identity. And if he can mess us up on what our identity is, then, you know, everything grows out from that. And so, as we see in this verse, like, Christ is our primary identifying marker. And But if he—but even even if things like our ethnic identity, our gender identity, or— any sort of appetite, like a sexual desire, or even a vocational sort of situation becomes our primary identifying marker, those things will never fulfill us. We'll always look into, like, press into those things to provide for us what they're incapable of giving us, which that just distorts the whole, uh, the whole reality of what it means to be a person. And so, and, and I know that this gets very deep very quickly, but we'll just continue to pursue all of these things, looking for hope, looking for joy, looking for contentment, and our journey will even get more and more disoriented as we press into those 
to sort of wring out from these apples orange juice because they'll never give it to us. Okay, that is so helpful. Um, and deep is okay here, by the way. Like we, we're, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're um, we're happy to go deep. Um, we want to we want to think deeply about the things of the faith. Um, we don't we don't just want to you know glance across the surface of things. So uh, we talk about identity issues here a lot. Um, we talk about uh, all of the places and spaces where people are. They imagine that they're going to find an identity or they imagine that they're going to find a primary way of identifying apart from Christ, that that's not the lead. And then we also have people who, um, Walter, you know, they profess to be Christians, but they're still leading with something else. And that's a particular challenge. It is. It is. And I would even say that Christians who are trying to lead with Christ, they'll lead almost with Christ as parallel with something else and not as primary. And so that's even just as problematic because then, then that creates uh, churches and small groups and friend groups that someone has to have Jesus plus something else to be able to fit in, which then necessarily eliminates others from being a part of that group as well. Yes, I remember um, in college a friend telling me that um, because I didn't speak in tongues, he didn't consider me a Christian. And I thought to myself, Wow, um, that's a that's an interesting. I mean, like he was not willing to be in fellowship with any person who did not express that uh, particular um, worship style. And so I thought, now this is this is very curious to me. Um, I have since come to understand there are a lot of other people who will slice me off um, for all kinds of other reasons. So let's talk about the primary and the secondary. What is primary in terms of the Christian faith for you? Primary is uh, looking and understanding Jesus as the agent of redemption through which God is uh, making all things new. And because of that work done in the past, there is death and resurrection. We have hope for the future. And, and that sort of my clinging to that narrative as the primary thing that gives me hope. And then because we understand that God is the creator and then we're the one who we he who uh, we're the one or we're the ones who sort of went away from his standard, his design, and you know like and he's the one who's helping us get back to it. And so just my clinging to that story is is my primary identifying marker, and uh, and it's that narrative that I think gives us hope in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of a or just on the tail end of a political cycle. And with all the sort of division that is in the church and outside the church, I think that story is actually one that can heal a lot of the brokenness horizontally relationship from one person to the next uh, more than any in anything else, but also primarily to God. And so, like, I think that's primary. That's that's my first tier of issues. And so if you're a Christian and you hold to those things, if you speak in tongues or not, I'm willing to call you brother and sister. <laughs> if you're you know, if you, you know, there, there's there's other secondary things. And so, again, I agree with you in that tongues, if you speak in tongues, that's secondary. But what's primary is that we see Christ as the first and the last. He's the one who gives us joy, peace, and then salvation and all these things that are, are good that he lapses upon us. That is Dr. Walter Strickland. Uh, he is a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, author of For God So Loved. We have talked before, if you want to go grab the podcast from our earlier conversations. Um, and Walter and I are going to return in just a moment. We're going to talk about 
Um, well, in a way, Santa Claus is coming to town. <clears throat> We're really going to talk about the naughty list that some people are proposing in terms of uh, the way we express ourselves, particularly through our vote. Do we belong on a naughty list if we didn't vote the way you voted? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Walter Strickland, Jr. Um, And sometimes, um, Walter, people want to relegate us to the kids' table or to a naughty list. We got Thanksgiving coming up. We got other holidays. And even if we're only gathering virtually with our family, the the challenge of tabletop conversations is um, fraught this year. It is fraught. Um, And so can you just give us a little conversational guidance? This is actually what you do organizationally um, at um, at the Strickland Institute, which I want folks to check out at strickland.institute.com. So teach me how to behave myself um, this year with family members who likely disagree with me on many things. Yeah, this is this is one of those most important topics, I think, especially this year in in an election year. The pandemic is here. It's uh, people are viewing it in different ways. Uh, I was in a conversation over the weekend where, uh, you know, just the mask con- conversation was had the potential of being explosive. And so, really, my 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 challenge to us as Christians are are to be those who Ephesians two talks about as peacemakers. You know, we we're the ones who are dead in Christ, verses one through three. Uh, made alive through him, verses 8 and 9, you know, and then also, but verses 14 to 17, we're, we're the ones through whom God is, is bringing about peace. And so you, this is this is our job this week. This is our job at Christmas, you know, especially as family gets together and we have these different sort of, especially political uh, convictions this year. And so my, my, my charge to us is that Christians ought to examine what we're so quick to defend. And I, I think Unfortunately, Christians have been more quick to defend their political political party this year than defending the, the faith itself, Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life. And so I think we ought to just dwell upon that for a moment to see, you know, why is it that we are dwelling upon our political ideologies and convictions more than uh, defending the gospel this year? And so, and, and really, I, I think it's a matter of where we find our hope. I think a lot of people have misplaced their hope in a particular party or candidate as opposed to finding their hope in Jesus. And so I think if we reimagine the locus of where we're finding our our hope for the future, that which we're clinging to for uh, just something to look to as a, a beacon of just light, I think that'll help us just to begin with. And then there's a lot more we can say from there. Hope. Um, hope springs eternal. Hope is um, anchored in a person and an event. Um, hope is, for some people, seemingly fleeting. Um, hope is not just some ethereal imagining uh, pie in the sky. I mean, hope is substantial. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so our hope drives us. Our hope, it, um, it really gives us our action steps forward if we know it or not. So if I'm, as a Christian, I believe that there is a place that, you know, that, that is being prepared for me. There's a kingdom that's to come 
where all that God declared to be good will be good again. So all that God declared to be good in Genesis 3 will characterize this place and this peace, which is this word shalom that we throw out all the time. It will characterize all of this. And so peace in our political, social, relational dealings, peace with God, uh, that, which all that other sorts of um, sort of tranquility flows and and this is this is actually what we're what we're hoping for. So and in this hope, it's not going to be a particular party that you know that is going to be ruling. The government, as the scripture says, will rest on the shoulders of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so that's who I'm hitching my wagon to. I'm not saying that we don't participate in our political process, in our you know our partisan sort of governmental d- democratic reality down here. But if I am defending, and if I am sort of quick to uh, try to convince somebody of my political convictions faster than my, my my ultimate, you know, as we talked about, our primary identifying marker sort of convictions, then people are going to misconstrue what your God is, and they're going to think it's politics and not, and not the Lord Jesus Christ. So one listener uh, texted in on the text line, misplaced hope, light bulb flash. Um, that's that's resonating with people, Walter. Just this um, this acknowledgement that our hope is either rightly placed, rightly positioned, rightly focused, or um, you know maybe every degree around the three hundred and sixty from that one degree, right? Wrongly mm-hmm. or misplaced, and there are you know what three hundred and fifty nine degrees of ways to not have hope that is rightly placed and one that is rightly placed, and that's on Christ. Um, that's a lot of people living with a lot of misplaced hope. Yeah, and, and, and to be honest with you, I think it's not on purpose that people have this misplaced hope. I think that the world around us only has a horizontal hope. They don't have a God to mm. look to to say who's going to make all these things right again. So they have to look to something that's down here, which is usually government or something like that. You know, our our uh, our, our partisan sort of reality down here to place that hope on, and then they place all their eggs in that basket. So Christians looking around at, you know, whatever sort of news medium you look at, they're doing what everybody else in the world is doing, but those who are not in Christ don't have the the truth that Jesus will one day rule and reign, and his reign will be uninterrupted, and then from that will flow this peace that's been so elusive to us right now. Yeah, and as you say that, I just, you know, just so aware— They've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They have worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, right? That horizontal hope issue has been an issue for a very, very, very long time. This is not new. This is not, uh, you know, exclusively American. This isn't, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, right? This is is who we are. This horizontal hope thing is, um, is kind of the tragedy of the human condition. Exactly. I mean, I think about in the Old Testament where they say, we want a king that we can see. Mm. That's exactly the same problem. And so you're right. This is not particularly American. This is the human condition. And this is why the Lord Jesus knew that he had to you know, fill us with his spirit to give us something out of this world, in this world, to help keep our eyes on him. But we have to let the spirit do the work of the spirit and, and sort of give us that vision beyond, you know. And, and I think also— if we look to these, you know, these other little hopes around us, these little opportunities for hope, it really uh, shows that we value those ideas more than the people that we're sitting with. 
And so if you're with your family or with friends, you know, let's, let's make sure that we demonstrate that we value them and not just value these ideas that are really a misplaced hope after all, more than the people we're sitting across from. So somebody says something that you think is absolutely asinine, you know, that has political overtones or whatever, you know, just ask a question. Hey, help me, help me understand how you got there. <laughs> and not just the normal sort of retort of, well, that's stupid. And the polar, the, the polarizing sort of dialogue, or really, it's not really a dialogue on social media, the polarizing sort of um, interaction that happens on social media, we shouldn't enter and enact that in person. So really just value the people you're with and over against the ideas that you are holding dear. And let's, Let's let it not be a mystery that we hold dear the gospel more than these other ideas. Walter, we appreciate our conversations with you so much. Thanks for joining us in this Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to yours. Uh, blessings on Thank the folks at Southeastern Seminary. Um, you guys check out Walter's website, strictlandinstitute.com, and his book, For God So Loved the World. We'll be right back. Okay, I appreciate that these uh, these conversations are resonating with you this morning. Let me encourage you to be a person whose hope is placed, set, anchored on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Spend some time today in Galatians 3.28 and consider who you are. Are you in Christ? And if you are in Christ, then you are among those to whom Paul is speaking about all the lesser things. There's a primary identity in Christ, and then there are secondary identities. Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, on and on. Jesus is in the foreground. Everything else is in the background. Every other marker of identity, every other appetite, every other political argument, every other uh, day and time. So I encourage you today um, to rest in that. And then I want to direct us back again to Romans 8.32. If you're looking for a verse to spend some time in, spend some time today in Romans 8:32 and consider all the things, all the things that come with Christ. So the first gift is Christ and we're going to unwrap that joyfully and with that gift come so many other gifts. In fact, all things, all the gifts that come with Christ. We're going to unwrap in this season of Advent and hope as we lean into Thanksgiving and Christmas. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Up next, I've got Dr. Linda Mental and David Aikman. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.